As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is the Tribune Audio Network. My name is Patrick Clark. I'm on an American road trip traveling across these United States of America into the presidential libraries, museums, and more along the way. It's a modern-day journey cross-country into our shared American history. Join us as we look into the lives of the first families and last stops and stories that make up this nation. You never know what we'll find when we go digging into the National Archives and who we'll meet next. These are the presidential libraries, museums, and more that might surprise you. And we are here to talk about presidential libraries and museums and even more. Patrick, you've been across the country to how many presidential libraries now? Uh, probably half of them, I would say. And that's, well, there's 45 presidents, so there's 20. Not all of them have presidential libraries and museums. And so that's why sometimes we'll go off the path a little bit. And it might just be a monument. It might just be their childhood home. But you have. I've, I work in this as the operations manager for KTVI, KPLR in St. Louis TV mm -hmm. station. And you came up with this idea that you wanted to go and explore presidential libraries across the country. Yeah. I, I didn't know as much about them, I felt like, as, as an American should. And so uh, I, I had gone to the Lincoln Library in Springfield and was blown away. It felt like something you'd see at Disney World or... It's a very good one. Yeah. It's very well done. Yeah. And we're relatively close proximity to it, so it is one that a lot of us have been to. Yeah. Um, but then you start going off to all these other ones across the yeah. country, and, and what's really for me, you know, I'm sitting back in the newsroom, and I get phone calls, or maybe not in the newsroom, maybe at home, maybe sleeping, and the phone rings. And Patrick in, you know, California. You'll never guess where I am or what happened today. What just happened today? Yeah. And I mean, one of the most exciting ones that I, I thought yeah. was the Reagan Library. Uh, Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and Museum in Simi Valley, which is uh, not too terribly far from Los Angeles. Okay. Right. And it sits up on a hilltop, and it's massive. When the... The day that I got there, you drive up this big windy road, you get to the hilltop. I pulled up, and they were pointing me to a parking spot with my name on it. So, you know, Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and Museum it is. So as excited as you were to go on these trips, these adventures, they were excited to have you there. Yes. They had seen, we've done a series of specials um, on presidential libraries, museums, and more on KPLR. Uh, News 11 in St. Louis, and they had seen these. These are half-hour specials going to various locations, and they were very excited. So I guess I imagine that they don't have the media calling every day saying, hey, we want to come in. I mean, nothing, no disrespect, but, you know, it's a, a museum, a library, you know. Uh, well, People probably hear library and think, oh, this is going to be a snooze fest. Right. 
so wrong. <laughs> There's so much to see in each one. Each one is different, um, and, and they speak to the era of, of that president or what America was going through at the time. And so they might, one might have his childhood home. One might have where this person was buried. At Reagan's, they have a, a limousine, a motorcade. And airplanes? For they have a jet. They have an Air Force One. His Air Force One. Yes. Or there's more than one. Well, yes. But this, the one they have there served seven presidents. And starting with JFK and all the way up to W. Oh, wow. So, so oh. all those used that. W used it, but yes. it ended up in the Reagan. Yes. I've shot video. I used to be a photographer. Yeah. This video. A very good one. Oh, thank you. And, you know, how many times have we been on the tarmac waiting for Air Force One <laughs> to come? Fun. They're massive. Oh, my gosh. Huge. Yeah. Right? Yes. I don't know what. Yes. And they had to actually build the building around it. Really? Yeah. To get to get the Air Force One up to the top of the mountain was quite a process. And we got a chance to hear how they did that. No. Oh, no. No, they don't move backwards. They like to go forwards. Yeah. It was disassembled. Wings were taken off. Fuselage, landing gear, vertical stabilizer, tail. Um, and trucked out here on trucks, basically big dollies pulled by a semi, came up early one morning up that circuitous road and got parked on the hill. Wrapped up in blue plastic tarps like a big burrito for a period of time while the building got started and prepped. Uh, at that point, it was arranged, leave the back of the building open, the building was framed, the roof was in place, and we had a public event that day. Uh, lots, of, uh, lots of people here fly over and we moved the fuselage into the building through that back wall, which didn't exist at the time, and parked it. The wings were spread, the landing gear. Boeing came in. They had donated, volunteered all their time to disassemble the plane and reconstruct the plane. And then they went back to work on reassembling her. And then at the last moment, we wheeled her out and plunked her on these, these uh, three columns that you see. The, Aircraft is actually sitting on her landing gear. Pretty cool. When you walk through, you can actually feel the suspension moving, so forth, which is why there's expansion joints at the forward and aft uh, exits. I used the line when we first walked in here, and you got a gander of this aircraft, and I say it every time to people who haven't been here, is there's something you don't see every day. <laughs> yeah, there's something you don't see every day. That's Rob Zucca exhibit specialist. He uh, was a guy who cut his teeth working in Hollywood on scenery and sets and things oh, like wow. that. Oh, wow. What part of the library is that in? It is in the Air Force One Pavilion. So it's just the Air Force One there. Oh, no. <laughs> There's a lot of history in that, just in that building. There's a uh, Reagan's presidential motorcade. There's a Suburban. There's a couple motorcycles. There's a Marine One helicopter in that same pavilion. This is all on the bottom floor, right? First floor. And if you want to enter into Air Force One, which you should, you have to go up to the third floor. It's that, the building wow. is huge. Wow. And you've been in over 20 of these libraries. Mm -hmm. is, is his one of the biggest? Absolutely. Yes. And, yeah. and we, we're just, we talk about the libraries. It's not just what you see above ground, right? Right, right. This library, from um, 
Herbert Hoover on forward. All of these presidential libraries and museums are part of NARA, the National Archives and Records Administration. So think of these as you've got all this history across the country rather than one central location. And it tells all, all the history of the era of America during that president's time. And so as big as that museum is that you can see, it's that big underground. And that's all the archives. All the, anything that had to do with the, the presidency. Yeah, yeah. Documents, pictures. Yes. Didn't you tell me something about like people need a hat or if a you, Yeah, if you knitted him, <laughs> if you crocheted, if you drew him, if you took a picture. And this was at the beginning of the day before we started, uh, my friend Randy Swan from the Reagan Library and Museum says, I want to tell you how big this is. I want to give you the lay of the land. There's so much to see and do. You really you can spend a day or two easily seeing everything. And as he's telling me this, I said, um, I have this memory. <laughs> when I was a kid, I think I wrote him. And I, I, you know, as you go through life, you sometimes forget about things from your childhood. And he said, where'd you live? And I, and I said, oh, you know, over here. And told him, he said, how old were you? And uh, he like made some notes. Yeah. And people would come in. Oh, this is our head of outreach. This is our head of education. You know, they I, yeah, they have a pretty big staff too. That big care staff. Of all that. Yeah. yeah. And so it wasn't even ten or fifteen minutes, and there was a knock on the door, and there was a lady there, and she she's holding my letter that I wrote to Ronald Reagan. Really? That I wrote that I mailed to him when I was a kid. This was after he, he was shot. So back in 1981? This was uh, 81. Yeah. March. It was March of 81 when there was an assassination attempt on right. me. And so I think after this, I had a, a teacher who encouraged us to, to write people, to reach. Wonderful teacher. And I, I guess that she encouraged us to write him. I, I wrote him. I remember writing him. It was a two-page letter. Wow. <laughs> I misspelled his name. <laughs> I asked I to be, be uh, pen pals. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wanted to be. I said, I, I said, I've seen your telecasts. Oh, well, <laughs> he was a great communicator. He was. Your mom was a fan. Oh, my mom was. She always. That was, Reagan was her favorite president, and not necessary for political views. Just you know, he was he was larger than life as old most presidents are, but Very movie true. star and from. Her era, and she just she loved Reagan. Yeah, very you know, charismatic. Absolutely. Yeah. So to see a letter that you wrote from your childhood in pencil. Yeah. To get in that mindset again, you're you're walking down memory lane, and you're thinking, and you're remembering, oh, all these people who've come and gone in your life. It was a very emotional. Oh, I imagine thing. so, right? Yeah. Taking it back, self back to that eleven year old kid. Trying to get in your mindset of, yeah, yeah, I just want to be friends with the president. <laughs> he was, he did, you didn't become pen pals. We did not. No. He did write that. I did get a letter from the White House. Oh, really? And what's funny is I have that framed, and you'd never be able to tell it, but the, I do remember the day I got it. I was so excited because it's you know, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh -huh. so, and in my haste, I almost ripped it, <laughs> ripped it in half. You know, I'm so excited. Uh. And then I cried. <laughs> My mom's like, well, fix it, dude. So 
So to have that letter, that's cool. Now they've since they think it might have been auto pen. I don't know that he necessarily that was his. It, yeah. yeah, I imagine he'd be pretty pissed. <laughs> but very cool that you have. But very cool you have that. Yeah, I don't have it though. You I don't have the letter. I mean, I, the letter from that they wrote back to you. I have the letter that I got back from the White House. But that letter they showed me that I had written, I was like, oh, can I take this? I said, nope, it's part of yeah. the National Archives. So anything that gets sent, this, this really helped me understand this. Anything that gets sent to that administration, they keep, they have to archive that. So that's why when you go there, you, it's incredible the amount of material, bankers' boxes filled with. That's all underneath that we have no idea that as you know, I go to the Lincoln Library or the Reagan Library, wherever, yeah. you don't know that's all underneath. That's yeah. not part of the regular tour, right? No, no. And it's you, usually you're getting special permission if you're if you're looking at um, documents. You're a historian, for instance, you know. And a these journalist. Are not, a journalist, yeah. You're you not gotta, taking yeah. these from there. Right. You had to have... Uh, you had to have clearance, clearance. especially, yeah. No cameras. You couldn't take any Oh, you couldn't even take a picture of it? Mm -hmm. No. Well, I could take a, yes, I could take a picture of the letter, but. Uh, no but, pictures. But in there. the archives yeah. themselves, yeah, yeah, no cameras. Yeah. Wow. That had to just be something to see that. And just to think, what blows my mind is that you tell the story and then what? You said 10 minutes later? First of all, we're an archive, okay? So we have over. 60 million documents, all telling the history um, and work product of Ronald Reagan. Ours is a government truly by the people. Then we have the museum. So we have some 100,000 square feet, depending on how you count, which includes a huge airplane. We have things from 160 different countries. Um, you name it, we have one of it. People wrote poems, they crocheted Afghans, they painted portraits, and they just mailed everything to the president of the White House. That's the perfect example of what an archive can be. You come here with an idea, you're going to do this great piece on the Reagan Library. Well, one of our staff, our curator, said, hold on a second, okay? Asked you a few questions, some dates, you know, subject matters or whatever it was. And sure enough, you put this in, send it to an archive, archivist. They go down, go through the boxes, and pull it out. He gave me just enough information, and luckily we have a very talented pool of colleagues here. Patrick Clark, that's not really a super unique name. And the file that she dug up was you know, several thousand deep. Luckily, your letter was near the top. And it's, why do we have those things? Well, because they're encapsulations. They are the perfect little chambers, if you will, little places where we say little piggy banks that represent certain periods of time, little snapshots. And just like you found the government had saved your letter for 35 years, and coming back, promotion that came back to you, and they were only about, I would say, 30 or 40 percent through the 65 million documents that are housed here to actually go through them. So luckily your letter was in part of the, uh, that had already been cleared and, and opened those files. So I mean, we're, we're a couple generations away from actually finishing the archivist's work. So our job at the National Archives, as we are part of, is to find those documents and provide those, provide access to them for the public and the researchers to whether it's an emotional experience or whether it's a serious experience or anything in between. That's what we do. 
What I saw was a person trying to get back into his 12-year-old mind, because the document had been written so long ago. I'm not, you know, how much of it did you remember? And, and you and I have chatted a little bit, well, but that's those stories, the people that you knew, what I was thinking about, the, the, the style of the handwriting, is that something, you know, is it a completely separate person, or is, or is that person still inside you? Um, I mean, all those things were running through my mind. I was enjoying the moment as much as you were. So that was Randy Swan we just heard from, and then we also talked with Duke Blackwood, who was director of the Presidential Library and Museum there. He's now director of all the presidential libraries in the NARA system. We also heard from Dr. Jennifer Torres, the registrar for the Reagan Library and Museum. So that, I mean, there's a good-sized staff, like we mentioned, that work there to take care of this, but you actually ran into somebody very close to the president, very personal <laughs> to knew, Ronald Reagan. Yes, yes, who knew him very well, his son Michael. That's amazing. He just walked around the corner and he's standing there. Does he work? He doesn't work there. He's a volunteer. No. He, no, he doesn't. <laughs> but he does go there from time to time. And that's the interesting thing, I think, about these presidential libraries and museums. You never know who you might run into. There, there might be a family member. I know uh, President, former President Clinton goes to his on, on. Oh, he goes to his. He, he goes there on regular occasions. Jimmy Carter goes to his in Atlanta on regular occasions. And don't they have. A place for them to stay there, then, yes, too? Yeah. Like their own apartment, or yeah, for the for those that are still uh, with us who are still living, yeah, yeah they have yeah. an apartment at each one. At Which, HWs, they have a horseshoe pit. Oh, because he liked to play horseshoes. Play so horseshoes. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. But but yeah, so tell me more about Michael Reagan. Well, we, literally, we were, had just kind of finished at the Air Force One, and you know, I, I mean, if this is not enough of a day, you've seen all these amazing things and. Uh, I forgot, I didn't even mention the pub. They have a pub from Ireland in that big Air Force One pavilion. Really? Yeah, there's just so many things to see. And we turned the corner, and literally there was Michael Reagan. And he, he said, oh, I, I'm just here buying an ornament for, for Christmas. Nancy got me in this tradition. Oh. Yeah. And I said, well, well, talk to me. Will you talk about your dad? And he said, absolutely. Really? And he gave you... A lot of stories. He gave us some stories that I, I don't know if everybody has ever heard of. He, I mean, he talked about how he influenced his musical taste. Really? What was he? I imagine, I mean, what, Reagan was born turn nineteen. Yeah, he was the big band I, era. Yeah, right? Yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was a fan of the, <laughs> you know, kind of an older era. Probably the 1940s was a big time. That was when, when he was a acting and sure yeah sure you know i'm a reagan and i understand that and i know that people get excited when they're able to meet someone who was raised by probably one of the greatest presidents this country ever had and not that i haven't fallen off horses and enough to break things we were just discussing that. anyone that's going to ride and do things like steeplechasing and polo and so forth. There are going to be times when you and the horse part company. There's no reflection on the horseman's ability or horsemanship. I, I wrote a book out, I have a new book out called Lessons My Father Taught Me. And it really is about growing up and sitting in the car with him on any given Saturday afternoon and riding out to the ranch. And being regaled with song about the Marines and the Air Force and the Army and the Navy and 
you know, people, people know my father is president and they say, gosh, he loved America, but it didn't happen the day he was sworn in. I can't remember a day he didn't love America. And, and so this is what he taught and instilled in me over 20 years riding out to the ranch and chopping wood and riding horses and, and all of those things. I bought him his first chainsaw. I mean, yeah, and the, and the oak trees have never forgiven him. But the fact is, I got those times with my dad prior to him running for office, and those were the great times. The presidency are memorable because he was governor and president, but if you want to ask me, what are those days you remember with your father? What are the great days? Those rides out to the ranch, being with him, and just listening to him tell story after story after story, and knowing that I am responsible today for his love of the Beach Boys. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. He used to put on the swinging years with Chuck Cecil. On radio. So this is Chuck Cecil inviting you to turn back time to 1937. And I'm, I'm sitting in a car saying, you've got to be out of your mind. You'll listen to this stuff. I mean, I don't need Little Brown Jug anymore. And so I'd switch it over to, I think, KFWB. This is KFWB, Channel 98. Listen to the Beach Boys. He used to tell me, you know, that music's going to just ruin America. And they ended up being his favorite group. So I'm responsible for the Beach Boys, and I take credit for it, full credit. That performance of the Beach Boys yeah. was from the White House. It was on the South Lawn. This happened in 1983. That recording, that, and then... June of 1983, uh, Christopher Reeve. Oh, wow. He Superman. Was, yeah. Uh, Ted Kennedy, Robert Vaughn, Richard Pryor, Jackie Cooper, they were all there. And knowing that, I mean, now you understand, by having this conversation with Michael Reagan, that it was kind of from him and his father and yeah. their relationship and their talks that that's how the Beach Boys got to the White House, huh? Yeah. Because some people might think, hmm, that doesn't seem like a... Michael Reagan's responsible for it. That's pretty cool. They had played every year, uh, 4th of July in the uh, early 80s, the Beach Boys had, uh, there in Washington, D.C., and the Secretary of the Interior at the time, James Watts, he, he wasn't down with the Beach Boys. He had canceled their, their performance because uh, he thought they, were, they brought out an undesirable element. Really? The Beach Boys? <laughs> yeah. Reagan found out about this, was upset. We loved them. The, the Beach Boys made us, this was a special concert to play because they had, once it was canceled, they were going to play in Atlantic City for the 4th of July, uh, and Reagan says, I want him here. Wow. They come and play this June 13th, 1983. This performance just for the Reagans and for the Special Olympics. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And you got the personal story by meeting Michael Reagan at the library that day. Yeah. How neat is that? And it's just fascinating that, you know, it's, granted, you're not going to run into the president's son every, every time, but 
It just speaks to the uniqueness of each library. Yeah. And the uniqueness of each each president. Yes. 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 Regardless of your politics or what you think of each person, how they got there in the first place or who they were, what what shaped and molded them, that is what is fascinating to me about each of these presidential libraries and museums. To walk a mile in their shoes and see the, the little small town they came from or whatever this place that they chose as their final resting place. Right, right. Which both... Uh, Reagan, uh, it, Ronald and Nancy are buried there, right? Yes, yeah. Wow. Yeah, on a hilltop overlooking the Pacific Ocean. That's quite the adventures. You know, like I said many times throughout this podcast, that it's always just exciting to hear your stories from the road, from these adventures that you're taking, learning about history of our country. Learning the history that we uh, learn in our books growing up and the stuff they don't teach you in yeah, right? class. And actually seeing it with your eyes and, and touching it and feeling it. Experiencing it, being there, really, I don't know, there's something to be said for being in a place and location and getting a better grasp on history in America. Well, we'll look forward to the next adventure. More adventures. More adventures, <laughs> lots of them. I'm Patrick Clark. And I'm Teresa Foley. We'll see you next time. This is the Tribune Audio Network.